If you've been with us throughout the Advent series, we've been looking at build up to Christmas. And obviously Christmas, as we see it on the calendar, has, 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 it came and went. And we're looking, we're staring down the barrel at a brand new year, a brand new decade. Matt and I were talking before the service and he works, uh, where he works, they set a lot of their corporate goals to be accomplished by 2020. You know, it was like this thing on the map that we looked forward to, and, and it almost felt like it wasn't ever going to happen. I jokingly said to somebody, like, wasn't, weren't, weren't cars supposed to be flying by 2020? You know, whenever I was a kid, people would say 2020 like it was the most futuristic thing you could possibly imagine. We would have the moon colonized by now, uh, and here we are staring down the barrel at 2020. It doesn't look a whole lot different uh, than, uh, than 2019 did. But we serve a a rich and masterful God who orchestrates things perfectly, and and we've seen that throughout the Advent. We've seen that through the the buildup of looking at someone like John the Baptist, who we see steering all the attention and glory onto Jesus, and then later on in his life, sitting in prison and saying, I just need reassured, this Jesus, he's the real deal, right? Go ask him. He says to his disciples, and Jesus says, just tell John that all of the things that you see, tell them that the blind can see, the lame are walking, the dead have risen. Basically says, all the prophecies that you were preparing the way for, for people to look at, they're coming true. He doesn't say, well, look at my resume. He doesn't say, well, how dare you doubt me? He just says, look at the prophecies that you taught, John. Everything is coming true. And then the next thing Jesus says is he, he builds up John in a moment where maybe flesh could get in and we could tear someone down to gain an advantage. John had an opportunity to do that. He could have tore down. Jesus had the opportunity to tear John down to build himself up in that moment. See, you shouldn't follow John. He's a doubter. But he didn't. He actually speaks into this and says, no, amongst men, none were greater than John the Baptist. He praises him and he gives us permission to go to him and express our doubts to him. In that moment, if John the Baptist can doubt who Jesus is, we're allowed to have that doubt as long as we express it to the right places. Because if we express our doubt to a living Savior, Jesus, he's just going to show us more of himself and when we see more of Jesus, we, it erases our doubt. And that's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. We, saw the, the, we looked at people, whether they were prepared or not, and, and ready for this moment to come. And they, they looked like people who were prepared, but when push came to shove, they were not prepared. Half of them were not. We looked at Mary, and we, we looked at her, her response to this wonderful news. We looked at shepherds who who dropped everything and went in to see this baby, this wonderful thing that they had been told about, Luke tells us. The Christmas story is so rich, I think we should probably just preach through Christmas and Easter all year. Because really the story of Scripture is Christmas and Easter. With a third part of a final return of our King. But we're staring down the barrel at a brand new year. It tends to be the time of year where we make decisions and we, we think through our goals and we think through our desires and we, we, do retro, we get retrospective. We start to think through like what was last year like and what could I improve on? 
Maybe you pull out the goal list that you wrote on New Year's Eve last year and you cross things off. Maybe you just change it a little bit, tweak it, because you feel less motivated than you did in 2019. Maybe you feel more motivated. One thing I pray is true is that Jesus is very real to you. And if you do set down and write down some goals, my, my prayer for you is when we leave here today and head into a new year, my prayer is you filter those goals through Christ sitting here at the very top and everything in your life falling underneath who He is. Any goal we can accomplish apart from Jesus will not be satisfactory. It will not feel satisfying. One of the letters in the Bible that I think gets kind of pushed to the side and forgotten is a letter that Peter wrote, uh, and, and it's, it's Second Peter. If you want to turn with me, it's on page 705. We want to close the book on 2019 well while leaving room for us to look ahead with excitement at what God has in store for us in 2020, even if it doesn't seem all that exciting. Page 705, if you're using the Bible in front of you. But First Peter, we're going to look at chapter 2. I believe that the First Peter or Second Peter in your Bible doesn't have an actual page number on it, uh, but it's the page after 704, so I always make the assumption that that's page 705. So, um, so 2 Peter, we're going to look at uh, chapter 1. We're going to tear this apart because Peter says something here that I think is very important for us to look at as we look ahead. As we come out of what we've been talking about, by the way, you know, the, the thing that I find remarkable about the Christmas story is, is after the manger... All of these peoples, all these people went back into their normal lives. The shepherd had to go back to their sheep. Joseph and Mary had to figure out what life was going to look like with this baby. Someone had to clean up the birth area. Someone had to uh, get Bethlehem back in order when everybody that came there for the census went back to where they belonged or where they lived. So Christmas comes and goes, and, and for us, it sometimes looks like just putting decorations away and, and getting everything back in order. For us, it's, it's making sure we have room for the new stuff and figuring out what the old stuff, toy-wise, we can, we can give to someone else to make room for the new things. And, and Christmas feels that way after Christmas, doesn't it? It's that, it's that feeling of just resetting and going. It's, Christmas gives us this beautiful little moment pause where we're just with family and friends, and we're focusing in on our traditions and our time together, and then we have to snap back into reality after New Year. That tends to be the, the human rhythm. But the rhythm of the gospel doesn't do that. There's no room for letdown in the gospel. There's no room for disappointment in the gospel because it's not, we, we haven't, we're not standing before Jesus yet. That means that we're still living in eager anticipation of a final coming of our Savior. And Peter longed to keep people focused in on that. In a moment where it could have been easy for the church to sort of focus in on a new routine or, or to fall away, this is what he's addressing, is people who claim to know Jesus but then have fallen away. I say it in quotes, I'll explain that later. He's addressing this group of people that some have fallen away and, and some are still pursuing 
And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Peter chapter 1. Follow along with me as I just read verses 12 through 15, and then we're going to get into some of the others before we round this thing out. Before I read that, I'd just like to pray. God, this is your word, and it's powerful, and it was written by a powerful man that you used to do amazing things, as we've seen in the book of Acts. Peter was kind of clumsy. The world called him a common, ordinary fisherman, but you used him to do amazing things, and he eloquently was able to pen advice down to us that here we are staring down at a new decade. I wonder if Peter could have ever even fathomed what 2020 would look like on a calendar, let alone that we would be looking at his writings today. So may you be blessed and honored in this place, and may your word come alive. And if it's of me, I pray that it's forgotten quickly. But if it's of you, may it make a big, deep impact. In your name we pray. Amen. Verse 12, chapter 2, or chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Peter says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter, it gives a masterful, masterful three-point sermon here. It's it's almost too easy. He says three words. And now if you look at it in the NIV or any other translation, it it would say it a little differently. But basically what we get is Peter using three words that begin with the letter R, which just makes it easy for a pastor. Remind, refresh, recall. In these short little verses, he's saying a whole lot. And the first thing that he does is he says, I want to remind you, but remind you of what? Look at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, this is one of those verses that you can't read by itself. It has, it has two major indicators that tell you you need, to, you need to look back at something else. And the first is the first word. Because when we see the word therefore, we need to ask ourselves, what's it? There, there you go. But also, he says something else and the next stands it down. When he says therefore, so that should tune us in. There's something we need to know. Because he's just made a qualifying statement that what he's about to tell you is based on something he's already told you. But then he doubles down and he says, these qualities. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. It's a really hard verse to read and not want to investigate what is he talking about. So look back with me at verses 1 through 11 of this same letter. This is how Peter starts this. He says, Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is an important way to start his letter. What he's doing is he's saying, if you believe in the same Jesus, I believe in we are an equal standing with him. Think about that. A first century Christian reading a letter from the apostle Peter 
that he himself is telling you that if you believe and are pursuing Jesus, you and he are on the exact same level with Jesus. It's foundational theology for us to really wrestle with. In Christ, there is no hierarchy. If we are in Christ, we are covered in His righteousness. We have have received His gift of salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection. And because of that, we get clothed in robes of righteousness, Scripture says. And when God looks at us, He sees His very own Son. He adopts us in as sons, and He sees us no different than He does His own Son, Jesus. And what Peter's doing at the beginning of this letter is saying, if you love Jesus... You and I are equals in the eyes of God. But he's also qualifying and saying, God has given me something to tell you. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. These qualities... This list of qualities that that come out of someone who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Not behavioral patterns of someone who has a form of godliness. But character, deep-rooted way of living. This list that he gives is hard to fake. Notice the list doesn't say things like church attendance, Bible memory, Uh, serving on a board, how long you've been attending a church. Notice doesn't say how many things you can recite when prompted. Notice it doesn't say what kind of things you can hang on the wall that say you know more than the other people in the room. It doesn't say that. That's not Peter's qualities. This is what he says. First thing he says is verse 4. By which you have been, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. His great promises. You remember the promise of Jesus 
the promise that Jesus was going to come. The promise that, that a Messiah would come. That a Redeemer, a Rescuer would come. And He would live a perfect life. He would do those things. All the promises come true in Jesus. And if we receive that gift of grace that Jesus so freely bought us on the cross, then Peter says that, that, that He has granted to us His precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may be capable of living a life that, that mimics Jesus' life while He was on earth. And then this next part, I love how He words it. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He does not blame the corruption of the world on sin. He doesn't blame it on a structure. He doesn't blame it on a people group. He blames it on our own sinful desires. We were born sinners. And the corruption of the world gets worse and worse and worse in us as we choose to live out of that sin. We just become more and more miserable. And so we look at the structures of the world to justify our sin. What Peter's saying here has huge implications. This is no small thing that he's saying. He's saying that if you are in Christ, you have escaped that life. You have escaped a life filled with corruption due to your own sinful desire. Sin will cause us to desire things that look nothing like Jesus. And sin will also tell us we're doing the right thing when we do it. Sin will tell us that decisions we're making just make sense for the situation that we're in, even though they do not bring glory to God. And we'll make ourselves feel better because they make sense. But what Peter's saying here is that because of Jesus, you have escaped the corruption of living like that. Because of Jesus, you don't have to live like that. You have escaped it. So when he says, I will remind you of these qualities, he's doing it out of that filter. He's speaking to people that are called the church. If you remember his greeting, right? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He is not writing this letter to people who don't know whether they believe in Jesus yet or not. He is writing this to people who already are claiming that Jesus is their king. That they are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so that is his audience. And so when he speaks to this audience, he's going to say that because you still live here, because you are still on a corrupt and sin-filled planet, you will have a temptation to live under the corruption that you escaped because of the blood of Jesus. You will be tempted to live out of that. So I will keep reminding you of this, Peter says. I will keep reminding you of this. You see, 
there's two, there, there's, there's a words, there, there's a collection of words that we use when, when we look at our sinful state, and it's called total depravity. That we are, we are in total depravity without a, a redeemer. That we need a grace-ridden God to show us and give us a better way out of our situation because we can't do it on our own. We are in total depravity. But what Peter believes in at the same time is now that that grace has been afforded to us, we have what's called total redemption. And we get to live in that. There's no halfway here. That's what Peter's saying. There's no such thing as a nominal Christian. That's what Peter's saying. There's no one, there's no such thing what Peter's saying is someone who's just trying to figure it all out. No, Peter says, in typical Peter fashion, there's only, there's only two things. You either love Jesus or you don't. And this letter is written to people who do. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to say, well, let's look at verse 13 and 14. So that first one, remind Remind. I will remind you of these qualities. Verse 13 and 14. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. There's a prophecy that Jesus gave Peter that said that he would die for his faith. And Jesus told him that before he was, while he was still serving alongside on earth before he was resurrected and taken into glory. So Peter knew that his fate was to die, and he knew that day was coming soon, but this is his, this is his sort of his last hurrah, right? This is, this is what he's saying, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up. I love that. I love that. I think too many times as followers of Jesus, we're, we're afraid to stir one another up. You see, the gospel is disruptive. The cry of a baby disrupted all of humanity. And when magi who, who saw a star and knew the sign or were watching for it, they come to worship this king. And where's the first place they go? A palace where Herod lives. And they say, hey, we saw the star, and we know that the Redeemer has been born. Is he here in this palace? And Herod, super insecure, says, no, he's not. But when you go find him, tell him, come back and tell me where he is, because I want to worship him too. And his insecurity gets the best of him. The baby stirred up all of humanity. completely shattered their expectations. And Jesus, by the way, continued to shatter people's expectations at every turn his entire life, on earth as it is in heaven. So what Peter says is, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder because I know my days on earth are not very long. 
Refresh would be a word that some other translations use here, but the ESV translates it to the closest thing we have in English language to what Peter said, and that's to stir up. Now, certain things are good to stir up, right? Like hot chocolate. But stirring up, isn't that in and of itself a disruptive process? Isn't it? If you want hot chocolate, you have to have a powder or a liquid, I guess. And you put it in hot water or hot milk. You put those things together and you stir them up, right? You disrupt both of them to create one thing that's new, right? I know we don't think about things that way, but it is a disruptive process. And what Peter says is, I do not mind disrupting you with the reminders of what it looks like to live like Jesus. Remember who the audience is. The, the, the letter is written to people who already claim to be living out of the bounty of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The letter is written to people who, by the very words of Jesus, have been adopted as sons into the family of God who have seen their wretchedness, have seen their brokenness, people who have seen the sin that has riddled their lives and crippled them up on the inside their whole lives, and they choose, by looking at a beautiful God, they see the beauty and grace of Jesus living and active, and they say, I want that more than I want anything here. And they live out of this righteousness, one with their Creator, because of Jesus. That's the audience. And Peter says, this is how people who claim, and not just claim, but are living as Jesus would live. You need to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then with virtue, knowledge. Continue to feed yourself knowledge and self-control. Do not give over to sinful desires. And out of self-control, steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. It builds on one another. He leaves no room for us to look at this list and cross some things off and say, well, I'm not that good at self-control, so let's put that one over there. That wasn't a confession, but maybe it was. Supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. What does that mean? It means that just saying you're a follower of Jesus doesn't necessarily make you a follower of Jesus. Peter's saying, supplement your faith, supplement your words with being someone who can be trusted, someone of virtue, someone who has character, someone who says that they live like Jesus and want to live like Jesus and then actually does it. Someone who's quick to apologize and ask forgiveness whenever they get it wrong. Someone who is is quick to be compassionate. Someone who manifests out of their own life and adorns the gospel well. The character of Jesus shines through you. He's just walking you through a list here of things that would be true of Jesus. 
Be someone of virtue, high virtue and character, and then, then supplement that with knowledge. So be in the word and know the story of Jesus. Know the word and live out of it. And then supplement that knowledge with self-control. Since you know what the word of God says, start obeying it and then practice the self-control that it takes to to live like Jesus. And then out of that self-control, supplement that with steadfastness and and then supplement that with godliness and then supplement that with brotherly affection. You're gonna love one another. You're gonna show brotherly affection to all. And then supplement that with love. For if these qualities, verse 8, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, if we do the math, what keeps you and I from being ineffective for the gospel? Not following that, not living towards that. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. There's a point in why he says that. Warren Wearsby said, as Peter is talking about... uh, where my time on earth is coming to a close, essentially is what he's saying. Warren Wearsby has this quote that I think is really cool. He says, we are all immortals on this earth until our work is done. Until our work is done on earth, we are all immortal. No one can take your life from you. God gives, God takes away. Peter saw his pastoral work as stirring up what salvation brought to you and I and what you and I should bring to the world now because of it. He saw that his workload consisted of stirring that up. I love what uh, Eugene Peterson says of this passage in the message. He says this, starting at verse 5 and going through 9. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master, Jesus Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Basically, what Peter's saying is, this is not a one and done thing. You don't walk the aisle and then walk away and that's it. We need stirred up. We need reminded. You realize that's part of the purpose of weekly gatherings? Part of the purpose of doing this is to be stirred up. To be reminded of foundational truths. So when we walk out the door, it produces in us a hunger to live and love like Jesus. It's not just a place we can collect money and keep the, keep the lights on. It's not just a place where we can say, this is where we get together to clean ourselves up and act like Jesus once a week. 
It's a place where we come together to be stirred up. Paul says to spur one another on. Part of the purpose of a gathering is is to do exactly what Peter saw part of his mission to do, and that's to stir up. So he wants to remind, he wants to refresh or stir up, and he wants to recall. Look at this last verse 15, and I will make every effort, sorry, I'm Yeah, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. What Peter's saying is I won't always be around. What Peter's saying is faith cannot be centered around a person. It has to be centered around Jesus. Peter's saying that I will not always be here. So, I will make every effort so that after I'm gone, you will be able to at any time to recall these things. These things that point you and others around you to our Redeemer, to our Savior. To recall these things. He's saying, I want to make sure that when I speak to you, I'm speaking to you the foundational truths of the gospel. That way it's so ingrained in you that you can recall them when you start to see yourself slip off of the path a little bit. Or when you start to see yourself move back into that corruption of, that this world has because of sinful desire that you've escaped when you see yourself want to veer towards that, I want to put this stuff in you so deeply that you recall it in a moment's notice. And I don't even have to be here for that to happen. Peter's putting all the attention back onto Jesus who said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no room for any of us to get any of the attention that is due Jesus. If we see the ugliness of our sin and that leads us to our Savior, there's no other person gets a glory for that than Jesus. And when we recall Peter's words, it points us to Jesus. You realize Jesus came into our existence as a baby, a delicate little baby. And he did that so that he could live the life that we were not capable of living. We were all born into sin, every one of us. Jesus came into the same existence that we've all been born into. Sin, a sinful world. And he was able to, from that moment, when he, when he was born, from that moment to the moment he died on the cross for our sins, to never choose the corruption of this sinful world. He never chose sin. He was able to live the life we could not live. He came as a baby because he lived the whole life, the whole human experience. We could never do it. He never succumbed to any sinful temptation. And because of that, he could pay the price we couldn't pay. Because whenever a perfect spotless sacrifice was demanded for righteousness to be given... There's only one person that stacked up, and it was Jesus. He came into our human experience as a baby, and he lived his whole life into adulthood, 
as a full-grown man and never once chose sin. From the moment of his birth to the moment of his death, he never once chose sin. And none of us are capable of that. And if we don't have that, we don't have a redeemer. If we don't have that, we don't have a rescue. And if we don't have that, we don't have a pathway back to God. And none of us could do it. None of us were capable of it. He paid the price we could not pay. But he took the death that we deserved. You know, if we would have all been hung on a cross, all it would have done was kill us. That's it. We would have just died. When Peter was hung on a cross, he just died. Nothing holy came from that. Nothing, nothing that bought anybody anything eternal came from Peter dying on a cross. Because he wasn't a perfect, spotless sacrifice. Only Jesus was. He came as a baby to do that. Christmas should resound in us all year. That story of Christmas should resound in our hearts all year. Our sin shows up in all kinds of ways. In our, in our lack of patience and in, in, our, in our heart, our harsh words with one another, our angry thoughts, our, our lustful thoughts, our actions. I mean, our sin comes out all kinds of ways. Sin is by very nature innovative, by the way, so we will find new and creative ways to sin and not feel like we're sinning because we live in a corrupt world that has been corrupt because of sinful desire. We give over to sinful desire, we just make things more corrupt. We give over to the desires of Jesus. We live in a freedom that has escaped us from the prison of living in this corrupt world because of sinful desire. And the Bible tells us that we have a brand new citizenship given to us, citizens of heaven, no matter where you live on this globe, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven first. And that means something because you have escaped from the prison of worldly corruption caused by sin. Sin and the devil are always the enemy. Always. So you stare down a brand new year. You stare down a brand new decade. I mean, it was 20 years ago. There were people building bunkers and buying canned food enough for 10 years because of Y2K. I won't ask you if you did that, but I didn't. I just remember being like 22 years old or 20 years old and just watching the clock and thinking like, this is either going to be really cool or super disastrous. You go either way. That was 20 years ago. So time passes by us whether we want it to or not. Time is not going to slow down. So if our goals and our hopes for a new year are all about me and improving myself, I'm just wasting more time. 
But if my goals and my objectives are driven by the person that Peter is describing here, think of all the godly and kingdom work that can get done in a new decade. If we can remember why Jesus came in the first place and why we were so desperate in need of that grace and then live out of being a free, a freed person living in freedom as a citizen of heaven, sitting at the right hand of God as a rightful heir to the, to the riches of heaven. That is us if we are in Jesus. And if that's me, then what I look forward to in a new year should, should match up with the kind of person that is described here. that that godliness and brother of brotherly affection and, and love should beam through me into others. And if you're here today and some of this sounds kind of garbled to you and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, ask the questions. I can promise you, if you walk out these doors today not having a deep love for Jesus, you will continue to walk down a disappointing path. Do not enslave yourself any longer to the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. But, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. There's no falling away from the faith if you're living like Jesus. If you fall away from faith, Peter would make the assumption and the conclusion that you never had it to begin with. You didn't lose your salvation. You just never had it. He says, if you live like this, you will never fall. And when you see yourself stumble, when you see it happen, you go back to this same Jesus that offered you salvation and he offers continual forgiveness and grace. And as he sanctifies us and changes us from the inside out, he flushes out that sinful corruption and he makes us into more of his likeness. And we find ourselves running away from sin as opposed to running towards it. We find ourselves being more creative on how we're going to show people the love of Jesus than how creative we were to either sin and hide it from other people or just blatantly live out of it. Sin is by its very nature innovative, but I can tell you that no one is more innovative than your Savior. Nobody writes a story better than He does. And He wants to write one in your life. Who will be the main character? Because all of God's promises are true in Jesus. So that means we can trust Him and we can follow Him. God, thank you that you afford us such grace. You give us moments where we can see you so clearly. And Lord, in the moments whenever it's, it's kind of foggy and hard to see, we know that you're still our good shepherd. Lord, because we're all different, 
because we all see the world differently. It has to be assumed this morning that we're all coming into this morning with different, different baggage and different things that we're dealing with and different joys that we're experiencing. But one thing can be absolutely true of all of us is that we can walk out these doors living as redeemed followers of Jesus who are bought at a price by a loving Savior. That we can be redeemed and we can escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And that we can be the kind of people that make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are ours and are increasing, they will keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of who you are. So may our prayer honestly down to our bones this morning be where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you.